It's the Askel Send Bites podcast with Margaret Mulholland. I'm delighted today to introduce Stephen Parsons, who's going to be talking us, to us about developmental language disorder, DLD. And we're going to really, I, I hope today, have an opportunity to tap into Stephen's depth of knowledge and experience in this area as a speech therapist for many, many years and now a national coordinator around DLD um, to really understand from a school leader perspective what we need to know about DLD. So Stephen, welcome. And can I just ask you to introduce yourself a little bit to our audience and then we'll get underway with some questions about DLD. Yes, so thank you, Margaret. Yes, so I, I am a speech and language therapist and have been for many, many years. And I am now also chair of NAPLIC, sorry, pardon me, no good start, <coughs> which is the UK organisation for professionals who work with uh, children and young people with developmental language disorder. So, um, so NAPLIC is N-A-P-L-I-C. I'm also chair of RADLD, which is the Raising Awareness of Developmental Language Disorder International Campaign. Um, as well, as well as doing some other kind of researchy kind of um, and developing resources and training, etc. Fantastic. And when we say professionals involved, do we mean predominantly speech and language therapists or are we talking more broadly than that? Our, our membership is split between specialist teachers um, and speech and language therapists predominantly, but we have educational psychologists and SENCOs, probably be the kind of general mix. Fantastic. That's really helpful. So we're hearing so much more about DLD at the moment, and that's our real focus for today. Um, we're going to start with a real basic question. What is DLD? And at some level, it's very simple. And at some levels, it's very complex. I'll start off <laughs> to the simple bit. So it's a neurodevelopmental condition, which basically means it's based in the brain. It's about how the brain develops and it and it specifically develops in a way which impacts on language. So words and sentences, understanding and using words and sentences. So, that's, so I guess a quick summary is it's a dif difficulty or difference in how the brain processes words and sentences. So that mm -hmm. sounds like quite straightforward, <laughs> but then it has kind of lots of soft edges and it can look a little bit like autism. So if a young person is having difficulties with interacting with peers, we might think, oh, it looks like autism. But actually, if we reflect on that a little more, it might be because they're not understanding some of the sort of more idiomatic language you know, or jokes. They're having some difficulties with language rather than. So that's, that, that's some of the issues. Or it can look a little bit like dyslexia in terms of, you know, young person's difficulty, find difficulties with reading comprehension, and it might not be because of a dyslexic decoding aspect, it might be because they're not understanding the words and sentences on the page. So it has a, um, yeah, some, it can, it, 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 and, and I think the other aspect is that many children and young people or people with DLD have very good coping mechanisms. And so they could be in the classroom nodding along. Yeah. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. And actually, that's not the case, right? So they're just trying to fit in. And so therefore, very difficult to pick up as well. And I suppose we've heard so much more about conditions like 
autism, like dyslexia, that were much more aligned to recognising or believing that we're recognising. And it would be easy to make assumptions. Is that what we're saying here about what might be going on for this young person? Yes, and I, I think be, and because you know, it, because autism has such a high profile, <laughs> is that if there is a young person having difficulties with social interactions, then I think you know, the, the, most people uh, will think, okay, autism will be the thing that pops into their mind. But actually, DLD is far more common than autism. So it's about so DLD has an incidence of around seven point six percent, so which equates to two in average class of 30, whereas autism has an incidence of between one, one and a half percent. So DLD is five times more common than autism, but it doesn't have that level of awareness. Fantastic. I was going to ask you next, why do schools need to know about it? But you've made that point abundantly clear, actually, particularly with the predominance of that need. And how common it is. Yes, yes, yeah. very, very, very common. And I think and because it's so unknown, um, it's overlooked. I mean, most people who have DLD don't know they have DLD. Um, and then the impacts of it, um, particularly when unsupported, are very highly negative. You know, the classroom is full of language, isn't it? So how that teacher student dialogue is language. It's what, what facilitates learning. Um, you know, it's how students negotiate their daily lives outside of school as well. So if a student doesn't have language or has difficulties with language, then they're going to find learning much more, more difficult. And if we look at vulnerable groups, just about, I mean, researchers look at any sort of vulnerable groups, whether that's students attending PRUES, alternative provisions, youth justice, uh, mental health provisions, all of those populations have very high incidences of DLD, between two thirds to like 90%. I've actually heard of a sort of informal um, screening for a youth justice provision, one of the youth justice teams where they have 100%, right? So, of un and usually undiagnosed because. I guess there's been an assumption that a young person has some kind of behavior needs and they go down a behavior route and actually what is often behind that is some kind of language understanding. So do you understand this? Yes. And then actually the young person goes and does something else they shouldn't be doing, they get into trouble. You can see the cycle happening over and over again. So identifying that need undeniably is important and, and not just because of behaviour difficulties, but also possibly because of those impacts like self-esteem, impact on identity. Um, yeah, uh, so really interesting in that if we've got that predominance, how do we spot DLD? What is the kind of, obviously the process that we would normally look to of maybe talking to a Senko or, or asking for a, an assessment or review? We know how very difficult those things can be. What would be your sort of sense in terms of what we should be looking out for or be more aware of in school? Okay, so and first of all, it can be very tricky. <laughs> it's the first thing I'm going to say. So I think to anyone listening to this, don't beat yourself up if you think, oh, I haven't spotted, you know, two children in every class because it can be very tricky. I mean, 
even say say like a a, a six-year-old you know a year a year two child year one two child who has the language of a four-year-old so that's quite significant in their development but actually in the class is quite hard to spot because they might just be a child you might think they're very give very short answers um <laughs> you know they just don't say very much they're very quiet right they get along with everybody but they're very quiet so you might just think okay that's that's fine but actually there may be a language need there and you know at secondary level it just might be some young people who are just very quiet and who say very little um or some young people who actually say quite a lot mm. um but don't necessarily understand as as well as their expressive mm. kind of amount that they express is a lot but it might not be very complex but actually they their understanding is at a quite simple level so that's often the ones that get overlooked um as well a couple of things i just think about i mean kind of crude measures i guess for identification is if they're language needs they often come out in extended language extended utterances so thinking about a story so one thing might be just to be independent on the age of children you're thinking of but if it's if a younger children just show a short animation it might not have any words in it you know like a short youtube uh, animation and then ask children to retell the story ideally verbally and individually so you can hear differences um but if you've got concerns with a child that's one very easy kind of task um reading comprehension if you're doing one-to-one -one reading you know, it, it might be that you read to a paragraph to a child and then have a discussion about that paragraph um, or just talking about the whole class book. Right. Just in that, so you get to understand are they picking up uh, the language that you expect and then are they able to then summarize their thoughts into a coherent uh, narrative? So they're kind of quick kind of identify if you've got a bit of a hunch um, that a child has some kind of language needs. I also think actually a step before that is to just just to be aware if a child has any learning needs is to think language is probably having some kind of role mm. because language is so fundamental to how children learn how we facilitate their learning check their learning so it's sort of almost like it should be the first thing that we check mm. Right, because because actually it's so fundamental to learning that if, if it's you know to rule it out is actually the first thing but then the second thing is to go to something like a narrative task so storytelling or reading comprehension kind of task um and then it's, it's those conversations then obviously within, within sen systems but it and it becomes then down to resources doesn't it right you know like things like waiting lists uh for nhs services and things as a previous manager of a of a, of a uh, school service uh, for many years refer i say you have don't hold on there's a really clear message to schools is don't hold on don't be the holder of the waiting list mm. is refer i know that the dfe are taking some actions you know are concerned about speech and language therapy waiting lists currently and so they're taking action on that so that data is being used nationally but also the data is can be used locally so as a manager of a service if i haven't got a waiting list i haven't got much of a case to build for more services absolutely so if i've got a massive waiting list i can start to campaign not saying it's a short easy um campaign 
but it's it's a tool in the toolbox managers as well. That's such a helpful sort of message, I think, both to Senkos and to school leaders. I think also the very fact that you refer recognises that hunch, that concern, that recognition that you've assessed a little bit more closely with that learner and that you don't want to make assumptions about what's going on for them um, without further support and engagement. But it doesn't mean you can't act or do, does it? No, no, no. no. So don't, I guess that's the other thing to also don't wait yeah. if you think, okay, this young person does have language needs, then I, I, you don't need to wait to, to be confirmed and a diagnosis. You can, you know, you can do lots every single day. And I think what happens in the classroom is crucial before diagnosis and after diagnosis. So don't wait either. So in terms of that classroom inclusion, whilst possibly waiting for um, a condition to be diagnosed or at least assessed with a professional, in the interim, what are we talking about in order to support a young person with DLD? Um, what are the scaffolds? What are the adaptations that we might consider when we think there is a language disorder there? I, I think the first thing is probably is just to know about DLD, right? And just just respond to the person. And you know, I have I have a lot of conversations with families, and and um, and I was talking to one family recently. I said, oh, the child last year had a really good year. Um, and and I said, what what made it a good year? And it was just it, the teacher just was under just said under just understood the child right and listened to the child and responded to them it was as simple as that it wasn't any specialist knowledge obviously that, that built over the year the teacher was totally new to the school totally new to the child and DLD didn't know anything about and just was willing to learn and I think that made a huge difference on the relationship and I I mean this is probably my this is my personal view here about that is it probably has a big impact on mental health yeah. that I, right is that you know a child knowing someone's got my back if there's an issue there's a teacher on my side has a huge impact and probably even more significant i whisper this mm -hmm. then you know then specialist services that go and pick well, up pieces afterwards yeah, belief and trust and and that kind of willingness to look more closely and to know the child and to be able to capture those strengths I mean, they're adaptations that are just hugely important, aren't they? But they should be um, things we do for everybody. But maybe recognising those challenges, we're, we're just looking that little bit harder and working with the family more closely to understand that, that profile of that individual in terms of their learning. I suppose as well, talking to them about... Yeah, what, absolutely. Mm. I think that's, that's a key thing, isn't it, really, is what... Because I, I think... It's very easy to think, oh, DLD is all like this. A and within DLD, there's a profile. <laughs> so that it will vary, it will present very differently in, in different children, young people. Um, so we so things like vocabulary is a key part, sentences, so grammar uh, is a key part, then then the discourse, so the actual narrative, those narrative skills, the, the social interaction skills in terms of social use of language. Um, and then things like the verbal memory and uh, so and working memory aspects as well. So, um, so there is a I mean and potentially speech um, elements as well. So the speech sound. So that can be either 
very good and totally um, typically developing, or it can be quite significantly impaired as part of DLD as well. So that, that, that aspect varies a little bit. But the other areas, vocabulary, grammar, the discourse narrative, um, the social use of language, and uh, the sort of working memory aspects are all things that really impact significantly on, on learning. So, so in terms of strategies and general things to do is, is simplifying language where it's where it's important, especially. So if it's an important instruction, then simplify it. Use less words, shorter sentences, and pause. Just pausing leaves a, gives that a few seconds more to process because actually processing speed can be impacted uh, by DLD as well. And then to supplement the message by any kind of visuals or multisensory. So because so DLD is, is language, which is primarily consumed auditorily, although later by reading. Um, but if we can supplement that some way by, by anything visual, so diagrams, images, um, or, or objects. Okay, So anything like that can really uh, make a difference as well. And then I guess the other things, because DLD is a difficulty with learning language in a natural way, because you know, we, we learn language by exposure. So any way that we can make it more explicit. So teaching the vocabulary explicitly, it might be pre-teaching the vocabulary so that, that children have, young people have a head start before they come to that vocabulary. Um, or teaching sentence form, or teaching uh, narrative structures, discourse structures. Okay, so any of those kind of explicit. So they're all things right, that happen already in classrooms. Absolutely, right? I was just going to say that. Right, they're that, all things. Right. So it, it's about. It might be about needing to teach them, I guess, even more explicitly, um, at a slower rate, starting mm -hmm. at the level where young people are at. So I mean, with vocabulary, the simplest one is. Um, so they studies where they look at children who are typically developing children and compare that to children who have DLD and a typically developing child needs about 12 contacts with a word um, to get to get to a stage where they can point to a picture of it. So quite early development. A child with DLD needs to hear the word 24 to 36 times. And I expect there are very few classrooms where a child hears a word 36 times within a short time frame. I mean, it's not really, so actually focusing on it and having a little bit of focus work, um, you know, pre-teaching that vocabulary can then for have a big impact on those children. And as school leaders enabling that pre-teaching as in terms of systems and processes, but also I suppose enabling uh, classroom teachers to spend more time with parents where needed in that way, that, that collaboration, that communication, communication systems between parents and teachers could really facilitate that reinforcement of language, that practice, that repetition. Absolutely. There's some, actually, we have some free resources, there we are, on the NAPLIC website. So it's, it's uh, NAPLIC, N-A-P-L-I-C dot org uk slash ptv yeah pre-teaching vocabulary um which was um developed by uh, the, uh a late colleague pipsingen 
who did some and it's very it's very simple all the resources are there it just needs the word to be selected so if literally if teachers were selecting the words they wanted and then parents or other staff can really or you probably i say older students probably could do it independently really uh, once they learnt the processes we'll put that link with the um podcast so that people can access that and actually Stephen as we as we continue our conversations we should be we could add to to those links as well and anything you think um would be useful I mean in a sense we our main purpose today is to think about how school leaders can first and foremost be aware of DLD Um, Because as you said, as soon as the awareness is there, that complexity becomes less of a burden and a worry, doesn't it? It becomes a learning opportunity because you recognise that there's something happening with language there. You can start looking at it with confidence to actually want to explore it further. So I think giving us the tools in terms of language and awareness are, are those first steps. But also as school leaders, some of those additional systems and processes that we were just thinking about become more and more pertinent don't they in terms of two children in every classroom and mm-hmm. um, benefiting from those systems of homeschool communication those systems of pre-teaching all being built in in a way that are flexible for the teacher to be more creative and have more agency in supporting those young people mm. really interesting thank you um i think we, we might leave it there not because there isn't so much more to say, but really in terms of managing the working memory of school leaders, um, we we want to just, I think, start with that and then take an iterative process and and ask you if in a, uh, after Christmas, perhaps we could look at part two and think about what next? You know, what more can we be doing? How can we collaborate with co- colleagues locally? And we touched on that today. Um, but we really want to expand this conversation, take it further and really put it into proactive steps for school leaders to feel that they they have tools that, that can support their classroom practitioners to really engage with those young people demonstrating DLD. Is there anything you wanted to add before we finish? I did ask the question, what would we do differently tomorrow now that we're aware of DLD? A very good question. Um, I, I would just think, just think of language and how it's impacting um, on learning and to avoid asking, do you understand? Because even adults, if you ask an ad- a room of adults, do you understand? They will all nod, right? <laughs> right. So, so the expectation is yes. So even just avoid that and actually look, ask a different question. Tell me what you've got to do. Tell me what you, what's the first step in this process, right? Ask a different question, which requires a response. So you're unpicking actually where students are at with their understanding. That's I love that because that goes back to that assessment, not assumption, doesn't it? Just really testing out, being curious, gathering evidence so that you can really assess whether or not that young person has actually understood. Lovely. Stephen Parsons, thank you very much for joining us to talk about DLD today. It's been really hugely helpful. Thank you. You're inviting me. The 
Askell Send Bites Podcast with Margaret Mulholland.